Heather on that, would you please bring on Dr. McCullough? I'm so grateful that he's on the show tonight and looking forward to this. And thank you, Tanya. Dr. Peter McCullough is a respected American internist, cardiologist, and epidemiologist. In addition to his many duties, he also manages the cardiovascular complications of both the viral infection and injuries that developed in patients after receiving the COVID-19 injection. He has dozens of peer-reviewed publications and has commented extensively on the medical response to the COVID-19 crisis. He has reviewed thousands of reports, participated in scientific congresses, group discussions, and press releases, has testified before Congress, and has won numerous awards during his distinguished medical career. As one of the world's top experts on COVID-19, Dr. McCullough has shown his great strength of character as he has upheld his oath and has provided his patients with the best possible protocol for treating respiratory illness in spite of government threats and malfeasance. We are very grateful that Dr. McCullough is able to share his story with us today. And on behalf of everyone here at Action for Canada, I'd like to extend a warm welcome to Dr. Peter McCullough. Welcome to the Empower Hour, Dr. McCullough. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Uh, you always do such an amazing job of researching and knowing our guests. Dr. McCullough, it is just such an honor to have you on the show. Um, you know, this is the first time I'm actually talking with you and meeting you. And I mentioned the notices of liability. And when we were creating those a year and a half ago, uh, you actually were a big part of it because we were quoting the fact that very early on, you had mentioned about how the government was scrubbing in unprecedented numbers of infection related deaths and that if there was um, a vaccine or a drug that had caused 50 deaths, it would be pulled off the market. And, you know, I, I just remember a year and a half ago seeing these details and then sending these notices out to MPs and, you know, thinking that we would have some sort of response or, or reaction. And it certainly didn't come. So we've continued to really beat the pavement and educate people on this. So um, you, sir, to me are a hero. And we're very grateful for you speaking up and taking the stand and continuing to work so hard for all citizens around the world. Well, thanks for having me on the program. Thank you. So I was hoping that uh, tonight, uh, if there is something uh, that maybe you could uh, of interest that would be an update to individuals, the work that you're currently involved in, if I could just hand the floor over to you and you let us a little know a little bit about what's going on in your world. Well, you know, I, I want to start out with what I call five COVID truths, just five talking points uh, update you on uh, how it's cohesive now with our Center for Disease Control recommendations. Then I have a, a, several news updates. So here are the five COVID truths. The first truth is that this virus does not spread among asymptomatic people, people who feel healthy and well. The virus doesn't spread between the two. Uh, two excellent papers in 2020 by Cow in 10 million Chinese and Zachary Madewell published in JAMA, separate paper, uh, demonstrated that there's negligible asymptomatic spread. That's the first point. And our CDC now agrees. Uh, so uh, our CDC says if, if you've been exposed to COVID, but you don't have any symptoms, uh, you're not going to spread it to anybody else. So you don't need to go in quarantine. Uh, we don't need to have anybody without symptoms 
uh, you know, going into uh, any type of lockdown or quarantine. So our, our CDC concedes that. Um, another point along this no asymptomatic spread. Our CDC says now the only time in healthcare we need to wear masks is when we're directly dealing with COVID, just like we would directly deal with tuberculosis or another respiratory condition. So I think this is a very important point. The second point is that there is no um, utility in doing testing in people without symptoms. That means weekly testing for work or school or travel. And our CDC agrees. Our CDC says no more asymptomatic testing. Uh, The World Health Organization said that back in June of 2021, there's been multiple workplace studies. There's been a study from uh, the Japan Olympics, all showing that when all this testing is done once a week, sometimes it's more frequently in sports teams, all it does is uh, it generates a false information. So the yield of any test being positive is less than 1%, but when it is positive, it's uh, most likely to be a false positive. So the point number two is no asymptomatic testing. It has no support uh, anywhere. Point number three is once an individual has had the infection and they've recovered, and in some of our audiences now in the United States, you know, it's 90% of adults, as CDC says, 86% of children have already had COVID. What we know there is that the next infection with COVID has a negligible risk for hospitalization and death, negligible. So the next time you get a phone call and someone says they have COVID, your first question is, is this your first time or is it a subsequent event? I ask that every time now, it's very important. A paper published by Chin and colleagues, New England Journal of Medicine in October of 2022 showed that among 59,000 prisoners, 17,000 staff, um, those individuals who are having second infections had zero risk of hospitalization and death and it didn't matter whether or not they took a, a vaccine. Point number four is that COVID-19 remains a very treatable illness, provided the treatment is started early. It's very important. Fazio and colleagues and myself have published on this. The early window is the first three days of symptoms. So I want everybody on this call to know, whether it's the first, second, or third episode, you should do treatment. And the treatment you do at home is using a virucidal nasal wash and gargle. So that means taking dilute povidone iodine or dilute hydrogen peroxide, a few drops in a spray bottle with a pinch of salt, spray it up the nose, sniff it back and spit it out, do it twice on each side, and then gargle with a shot glass of the same solution. It's very important. Can do that twice a day to prevent COVID, can do it up to every four hours in acute treatment of COVID, 12 clinical studies, three large randomized trials, a convincing effect. In fact, better than a vaccine. Uh, We have data now showing that virucidal nasal washes and gargles reduces the spread of COVID. It's the only thing that actually reduces the spread. It drops down the positivity on nasal PCR antigen testing dramatically within a few days. So every person on this call should have a nasal oral hygiene approach ready. Okay. Nutraceuticals and supplements play a role. Probably vitamin D plays the biggest role. Uh, You can find uh, about all of these on my website, uh, petermcculloughmd.com. 
and look up the McCullough Protocol. It's been published, peer-reviewed, and it's one of the more widely used protocols. Others are available. We have additional drugs that can be used, but in most cases in Omicron, they're not needed, and you can refer to the protocol there. Um, I don't have any particular biases about one drug or another, but we do need to use multiple drugs in combination, an antiviral agent, a corticosteroid, a blood thinner such as aspirin, sometimes more intensive therapy. Point number five, the COVID-19 vaccines as they exist are not sufficiently safe and not sufficiently effective for use in human populations. And after multiple stern warnings, the World Council for Health on June 11th, 2022, this is the best place to go for a consensus. The World Council for Health, which represents 70 grassroots organizations, issued a pharmacovigilance report based on excess mortality and concluded all the vaccines should be pulled off the market. Now, they had several stern warnings before that time. Uh, in fact, I was involved in a collaboration in early 2021 calling for the vaccines to have safety review and be pulled temporarily off the market. But they should all go off the market at this point in time. Uh, the vaccines have led to record numbers of deaths. In the United States, our CDC uh, reports that 15,000 Americans have died within about four days of taking the vaccine. And our best estimates based on FDA testimony is that's underreported 30-fold. So what I'm telling you tonight is we estimate 450,000 Americans have died after taking COVID-19 vaccination. And uh, typically 510, no more than 50, they're pulled off the market. This is astonishing that such a dangerous product has been left uh, um, uh, in use. Uh, there are record cases of the complications our FDA agrees to. Our FDA says the vaccines cause myocarditis, and they do, and they're causing thousands of cases. Uh, many of these are leading to uh, a subclinical form, which there's no symptoms, and the first manifestation is sudden death. They lead to blood clots, and, uh, and blood clots of all types, arterial and venous. Uh, they lead to bone marrow abnormalities, which are more rare, uh, including a hospitalized disorder called vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia. And lastly, they lead to neurologic uh, abnormalities, whether it be via stroke or immunologic injuries. And, and the reports are shocking. A paper by Burheld and colleagues in JAMA last summer from four, uh, three small Nordic countries reported 7,750 neurologically devastated people after taking the COVID-19 vaccine within 28 days and they carefully ruled out the infection. So the vaccines have not made any, um, any type of uh, landmark for safety. Looking backwards, they should have been pulled off the market in the United States before February 1st of 2021. In terms of efficacy, where we are now is our CDC says the vaccines don't stop the infection. Uh, our, our CDC gave up on, uh, on uh, tracking breakthrough infections May 1st, twenty. 21, given a colossal failure there. A month later, our CDC came out and said the vaccines don't stop transmission. So a fully vaccinated person uh, transmits the vaccine to another fully vaccinated person. And then finally, we've never had a prospective randomized placebo-controlled double-blind clinical trial demonstrating the vaccines reduce hospitalization and death as a primary second endpoint. It's never been demonstrated. Uh, there have been biased studies uh, that don't account for the two variables that do reduce hospitalization and death. And they are natural immunity, that is prior infection, and the uh, administration of early treatment. No study that claims the vaccines re reduce 
um, the severity of illness have taken into consideration natural immunity early treatment. So in my view, none of them are valid. So those are the five points. First, the, the virus is not spread asymptomatically. So that means there's no need for masking, lockdowns, social distancing, hand sanitizer. Number two, asymptomatic testing is not endorsed by any regulatory agency at this point in time, not supported by any scientific study. Number three, the immunity after the first infection is uh, very powerful. And in the data I quoted, it doesn't seem to wane over time. Uh, and uh, point number four, the, the virus has always been treatable, but all the advancements have been in the outpatient realm. And then lastly, number five, the vaccines are not sufficiently safe and effective. So I'll stop here. If you want to yeah. ask some questions, mm-hmm. I can give you some brief, brief news updates. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, we refer to this as a vaccine and many people said it's, it's not actually a vaccine. It's not a traditional vaccine. Well, what's your opinion on that? The, you know, the origins of the products actually are from the U.S. military. A lot of people don't know this, but if you go on the U.S. Department of Defense, DARPA, DARPA is the research arm of the military. DARPA has a program called ADAPT P3, stands for uh, Pandemic uh, Protect um, uh, Preparedness. And that program was started in 2011. So our U.S. military said they were going to use messenger RNA technology to end pandemics within 60 days. So it didn't come from Operation Warp Speed or President Trump. It didn't come from Pfizer or Moderna Mm -hmm. or the pharma. It actually came from the U.S. government. And uh, BARDA funded research along with the uh, NIH division, BARDA, and they funded the the university that takes most of the credits, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. They basically had worked on the SARS-CoV-1 virus to make it more lethal and invasive, and it became SARS-CoV-2. It's all laid out in research grants and mm-hmm. in publications, two key publications in 2015. First author, Menachery, clearly describe all the steps. The military is working on an asset, which is a, a biological threat, but also an answer, vaccines and monoclonal antibodies. They, they also did that for anthrax, smallpox, monkeypox. So this is part of the biological weapons development. Uh, but, the, but the origin of the products uh, is from 2011 forward. Uh, one of the best books everybody should get is Peter Bregan, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. He sold about 100,000 copies now. Uh, it's available for $2, but it has uh, 1,100 citations and gives the entire timeline of the development of this from 2011. There's been 36 pandemic preparedness uh, planning events, 25 of them with written documents like the ones I've shared, and then six were filmed. You can actually just watch the, the filming of this. These are gene transfer technology products, and and they are classified Mm -hmm. that way uh, by DARPA and the military. Uh, They are used to try to have the body express a foreign protein in in the attempt to try to gain immunity. It's a disastrous idea because the human body should only express human proteins within Mm -hmm. cells and on cell surface. By By expressing constantly an abnormal foreign protein, the body attacks itself and causes autoimmunity. Uh, And so in in August of 2020, I published an article in The Hill, which is a widely read uh, national journal. And the title of the paper was The Great Gamble of the COVID-19 Vaccine Development Program. And as I look back, I think I'm the only public official, the only one who questioned the vaccines as a concept from the beginning. Right. And what we've learned since that time has been a disaster. And you've outlined most of that. Right. Yeah, it, it has just been uh, 
horrifying to watch. And like I say, I've been in this journey for uh, almost seven and a half years now. And as soon as uh, our great leader, <laughs> I say that sarcastically, Justin Trudeau came into office, even what he was campaigning on, I knew that he was working to undermine our sovereignty and our freedom as a nation. And so pre-COVID, uh, you know, they were positioning themselves strategically to undermine the freedom of speech and and to shut down debate and to gain greater control over the legislature. And so I've been working with organizations nationwide, again, pre-COVID, where we managed to get him from a majority government down to a minority government. And, you know, in the United States, uh, you know, the, the benefit of having the Senate, but we don't have that benefit in Canada of electing our Sen a Senate. They're appointed. And uh, so, so we've been hit pretty hard here. And uh, right from the very start, I wrote a report called Government Corruption, Including with a Foreign Syndicate. And I outlined everything that was transpiring, transpiring as to what was going to happen, you know, to businesses and to our elderly and to children and uh, regarding the digital ID and this deadly injection. And, and so, you know, I'm I'm grateful in the sense that people are waking up, but as we know, we had Diego Hen Henriquez on last week, and uh, whom I believe believe you know from Died Suddenly with the Facebook page, and uh, you know he was as well confirming the amount of deaths in the 15 months he managed to you know keep that face page Facebook page up. So yeah, it's it's pretty scary. This is definitely an attack against humanity. Um, I do believe that uh, with all of the legal actions, we also have a large one here in Canada uh, that we're making progress. Can you give us any updates from the states uh, or from anywhere you like on legal proceedings? Well, let me just respond to this idea of a syndicate. I, I think you hit the right word. Another book I'd encourage you to pick up is, is Courage to Face COVID-19. I've written that with best-selling true crime author John Leake. And in there, we use the term biopharmaceutical complex uh, as a name for a syndicate. Uh, but this is who we've named as the members of this syndicate. At the top, it's the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, the Gates Foundation, Wellcome Trust, uh, uh, the um, Rockefeller Foundation, Gavi, CEPI, Unitaid, the, uh, the regulatory agencies, the Health Canada, the TGA, the MHRA, the FDA, CDC, NIH, and then there's, of course, the, uh, the suppliers, the vaccine companies and the, the uh, biological contractors. What they have figured out, and uh, you know, I think this must have happened over years. Uh, we should have been paying attention to who's flying to Davos for the Davos meeting. But in these Davos meetings over years, uh, this must have been planned and almost certainly was uh, in the World Economic Forum leading this, that if they could declare a health emergency worldwide and get all countries to do it, they literally could open up the doors of treasuries mm -hmm. and have the money start flowing exactly. unrestricted exactly. and everybody benefits in this syndicate. And uh, as we sit here today, we're on three years of a SARS-CoV-2 emergency in the United States. We're actually under a monkeypox emergency, national emergency. And some people have been calling for a respiratory syncytial virus emergency. So they've already figured it out. If we can declare a national emergency, there's unrestricted flows of money and spending. And mm -hmm. what's happened now, and you've outlined it, is wide open corruption, wide open. So we've learned that uh, that Weber Shandwick 
which is the largest PR marketing firm in the United States or part of IPG Group, a massive multi-billion dollar conglomerate. They were secretly operating a marketing unit within our CDC vaccine office. They represent Pfizer and Moderna. And Senator Rand Paul sent a letter to, to Walensky, their CDC, and said, uh, explain how this is happening. CDC actually was paying them money to market vaccines. It's affecting me as, uh, because my board certifications are, are being threatened. And Weber Shandrick is actually working with the American Board of Internal Medicine and pushing vaccines on doctors' groups. So this is wide open. Doctors are punching back this week. Um, uh, Paul, Dr. Paul Merrick, Mary Telly Bowden, and Dr. Apter are suing the FDA for falsely telling Americans that they should not use ivermectin. And they had all the statements that the FDA was tweeting this out in 2021, misleading America. And now the attorney for the FDA is saying, oh, we, 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 we didn't tell America they didn't need to take ivermectin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we have, um, in many ways, we have lawsuits underway uh, to, to put them on the run. The biggest thing on the table is continued vaccination. President Biden two days ago announced a six-week uh, a booster campaign to push the vaccines. The current bivalent vaccines were not tested in humans. They, they were pre-purchased and then uh, were found to fail in animal studies. Uh, and now they purportedly would cover the BA4, BA5 subvariant. Those variants have already moved out. Yeah. And now we have the BQ1 and BQ11. So there's no theoretical basis and certainly no clinical basis to take a booster. And we're seeing horrendous safety outcomes, as I've talked about. In the United States, 90% of Americans are not taking vaccines or not taking boosters at this point in time. Good. And I think we're really heading for a showdown. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this showdown as well. I mean, for many, you know, we hope that they got a diluted version of it or 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 the um, uh, the phony version of the vax, right? And uh, because those are the ones that didn't have any reaction at all or will have milder symptoms, uh, the ones that are obviously having extreme symptoms got the full meal deal. And it's just frightening to sit back. When you were giving the list of all those who have been involved in this, I was like, don't forget the World Banks and the IMF. And I've called yeah. it the greatest heist in the history of the world. And, you know, pre-COVID, Obama and Trudeau were were uh, sending billions of dollars in their um, uh, political pandering to minority nations, at least so that's what they were telling the citizens uh, to help improve their quality of life. But we know that we look back on the seven years that Trudeau has been in office and nothing has improved for third world countries. And in fact, it's gotten desperately worse. And the Belarus president um, had also exposed the IMF and World Banks as trying to bribe him with nearly a billion dollars to impose uh, the measures. And uh, I've sat down with top RCMP and said, I believe our premier is making backroom deals with, sorry, the prime minister is making backroom deals with the premiers. And uh, this is what they're doing. So they're, they're robbing us blind of these funds. And then they're using it to um, enrich themselves and to bribe leaders into um, in, enforcing uh, these ridiculous mandates. But uh, we as an organization at Action for Canada have boldly said from the beginning, this is unlawful. It even says in our Emergency Act that our, uh, our Charter of Rights and our Bill of Rights cannot be infringed upon. And it's like, how much more clear does that have to be? You have the right to go to work. You have the right to provide for your family. Right. So I thought your uh, your pregame uh, warm up video, it was actually kind of a pregame hype hype up video was great. And it did reinforce that Canadians 
have these rights and really it's up to Canadians to, to take those rights and hold them. Yep. And I wanted to say that my co-author, John Leake, uh, has said something I think very important. He said, take public utterances seriously. This is important. So when Bill Gates said in 2010 around that it's going to be the decade of the vaccines, take it seriously. Right. When Bill Gates said in a TED talk that mass vaccination could be used to reduce the world's population and that would be a good thing, take it seriously. Right. When Klaus Schwab in his book, uh, COVID-19, The Great Reset, published like two months after the, the crisis starts, when he says this crisis can be used as a narrow window to establish a new world order, take it seriously. I mean, there's no reason why we wouldn't think that these individuals are very serious in what they're saying. And I think if you look at it in that perspective, it does explain what's going on. Right. Yeah, this was not uh, Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab foreshadowing or looking in their their magic ball, right? Their crystal ball. This was them uh, relaying that they had a plan in place. And I remember when in February, the news all of a sudden started blasting out about COVID and to stay home. And because of all the work that we'd been doing, I sat in my house and I looked at those reports and I said, holy smokes, this is how they're coming next. And uh, just so strategically, if you had been following the government and involved and concerned and fighting back against the decisions they were making pre-COVID, you would have seen the writing on the wall of, as to what was coming. And not only that, but they were being open and honest about you know what their plans were. They just took the, the next uh, influenza season and, uh, and they promoted it on steroids to instill a mass fear in uh, citizens around the world so that they would comply. But I believe we're, we're making progress. Uh, we as an organization as well are going into elected officials. We're holding them liable because as a citizen, you cannot uh, violate the privacy rights um, or the constitutional rights of other citizens and you are not above the law. Extortion and intimidation are very sim uh, serious indictable criminal code offenses and so we're actually taking legal action. We're filing criminal charges against employers and once this dam starts to open and there are judges in Canada who care about their country and don't like what they see they're going to become emboldened they're going to fi find their courageous backbone and they're going to start making good rulings and and we're going to be on the front line of that to assist people and we're working to put them in the best possible position um, so you had mentioned uh, I believe it was the American Board of Internal Medicine is that right now they're coming after you so you were you're you've maintained your license and and so what is the underlying line here like you've lasted a long time in in canada uh they've already removed the uh, the license for anybody that would have been as bold as you speaking out so let us know a little bit more a little bit more about what's going on there you know just for background i've uh, been researching uh, sars-cov-2 and covid19 from the beginning i've have 60 peer-reviewed publications on mm -hmm. the topic i've Testified twice in the U.S. Senate, multiple state senates. I'm a frequent commentator on almost every news. I've been on ABC News, Fox News. I've been on all of them. I've set the record on Joe Rogan uh, <laughs> ahead of Elon Musk. And today I was trending number one or number two on Twitter uh, ahead of Trump or Musk or anybody else. Um, what I'm known for worldwide is I've been bringing the world the truth. And those who have stand in opposition uh, to me have not done well. Mm -hmm. So what's happened 
is my state license, the United States state license, like a, a veterinary license or a nursing license, that just is a, 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 a perfunctory um, uh, issue of just being in good stead with the law. My, my state license is fine. But the board certifications now, I've been targeted without due process. They've gone back in time ex post facto. They've come up with a COVID misinformation policy. They've declared I've um, violated it. They, uh, they've received letters from the U.S. Senate to come out and discuss this. They won't do it. Um, multiple state senates. Uh, and so uh, they now have had a, a meeting. They didn't let me attend. And they've uh, decided uh, to strip me of my residency and fellowship. It's amazing. I, I could be the first doctor fully qualified in U.S. history to be stripped of my residency and fellowship mm-hmm. certifications for political reasons. Right. And uh, so now I have a, a brief period of time to appeal. And we've uh, under uh, basically uncovered this gross corruption that the Pfizer Moderna's marketing firm is working with the American Board of Internal Medicine. That, that this is uh, this is fraud and racketeering. Uh, it's it's clearly uh, I'm being professionally damaged. And mm-hmm. so I have lawyers and and, and tremendous um, administrative grind on this. And I will take it as far as I need to. But if I don't prevail, my career is essentially ended as it exists. I can't see and examine patients, bill insurances, or have hospital privileges. So I think what, what we're witnessing here uh, is, is an astonishing set of developments. And the, they, the miscalculation that they have is that by doing this, they think they can silence me. Well, if I'm stripped of everything, I have even more time and energy to be even louder on these uh, issues. Uh, the country and the world at large has learned to trust my opinion. That's the reason why they want me on Twitter as the top person. Um, so that's going to backfire. I think actually what's trying to be done here is they're trying to damage me very publicly in order to send a message to a million American doctors to tell them, don't you dare get out of mm-hmm. line. Look what we did to Dr. McCullough. Right. Well, I'd like to call on the million doctors throughout America right now to uh, step up and say, you know, if Dr. McCullough goes, I go. I mean, what is the country going to do without health care? And I mean, if there are elected officials in positions that are uh, a party to this uh, medical apartheid, then deny them service. <laughs> I mean, we have got to fight back with fire. We are in World War Three. And if we don't understand and take this very seriously, I mean, nobody likes confrontation, but where would the country be if Dr. McCullough didn't speak up? Where would the world be? Uh, where would uh, Canada be without action for Canada? Because we're frontlining it and we're upsetting the government because when you equip citizens and you give them the knowledge that they need in order to understand that this is a complete massive fraud to gain global uh, 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 global uh, authority, then it is much easier to step back and say, heck no, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to take a jab. And we're going for the low-hanging fruit. We're going for the ones that the government has counted on. That's employers. That's the uh, union individuals. Those are the individuals who want to keep their job if that means you losing yours. And they're willing to go along with it. But once we start talking liability, we're beginning to see that uh, the pushback is having an effect. So Dr. McCullough, on that, I I believe I saw an interview uh, recently and and uh, when you talk about Twitter, etc., I believe you had said that you have had the ear of nearly a quarter of the world's population. At- it's true. You know, when I went on the Joe Rogan studio, 
And I said, all the records, we think we hit 160 million Americans, maybe half of the country. But I didn't have the heart to tell Joe Rogan that he's small potatoes compared to Daystar. Daystar is the largest Christian broadcasting network in the world. They have 200 million paid subscribers worldwide in, I, I think, virtually every country in the world. About three people watch in each household watch the show. So, and with reruns, each show reaches about 1.7 billion people. And right. I've done four shows with um, uh, the late Marcus Lamb, who actually died uh, mm -hmm. as a, a complication of COVID, and then Joni Lamb. So, I mean, even uh, President uh, Trump can't do that. Biden, Trudeau, yes. uh, Fauci, yes. they can't do that. Our reach is actually far more substantial and powerful. And not only that, but we have a message that resonates. Uh, you know, people don't want to hear about masks or more vaccines and, and, and you know, people can see through this. I'll give you a couple of talking points. Uh, there is a, a release of the V-safe data. The CDC collected data on cell phones. People could enter it in their side effects. They didn't want to release it to the United States under uh, public under court order. They were forced to to the NGO ICANN and uh, uh, Aaron Siri the lead uh, attorney on Fox News primetime released the results. It turns out people taking these shots, 25% of them are incapacitated. They can't go to work the next day yeah. or the day after. Yeah. And, uh, and that 7 to 8% of them are hospitalized. They are so toxic. Uh, I'll give you another talking point. A Zogby survey, Zogby, a, a valid survey company in the United States, huge sample. Two-thirds of people took the vaccine. Of those who took the vaccine, 50 15% have a new medical problem, something they're seeing a doctor for, headaches, blood clots, heart damage, 15%, 85% are fine. And then the last data point is a Michigan State survey by Dittmore and colleagues, 22% of Americans know somebody who died or who's been injured with the vaccines. So we don't need social media. We don't need mainstream media. We don't need VAERS or Health Canada. People just talk to each other. Yeah. They can figure this out. And and the, the, the challenge is now is the only... Uh, for people to realize the only court that's open is a court of public opinion. And if everybody says they are refusing these shots, the entire plan goes down. The entire, the entire global reset goes down yeah. because their mechanism of getting this edge on people is through mass vaccination. Right. And, uh, you know, that was the strategic plan all along when you said, uh, you know, you, you once again said those words about global population control. That has been the objective from the very beginning. So uh, I know some people would say, well, you know, uh, Trudeau is in violation of the Constitution or our premier is. And it's like they don't care. There is no putting the Constitution before them and saying, oh, by the way, you're violating this. They 100 percent knew going out the gate that they would be walking over the rights of every single citizen, not only in Canada and the United States, but around the world. And uh, this is definitely a global problem. And as we come up with uh, the, the fight and the solution and pursue these legal actions, I, I believe that as in uh, the Nuremberg trials, we are going to see justice. And I believe that uh, some individuals in high places are beginning to get a little bit concerned about the decision they made to go along with this because of the amount of public backlash, because 
citizens are becoming awake and aware. And I always say knowledge is power. And when you have it, you got to use it and you got to share it. And that's what's happening. And I love what you said about Daystar. Um, I didn't realize it was that greater reach. I've had the privilege uh, talk truth with Alan Huntsberger, Alan and Corey Huntsberger. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm, I've been honored to be on their show. They've asked me to be a regular. So that's the, uh, the third interview that went out last week. But it's quite exciting what you just said, uh, because that means that other countries can learn about the incredible strategies that we have, how we're getting into all of the communities, how we're working to go back into municipalities and uh, we're going to win back those seats because that's one of the other strategies right is that the government has said they're going to use the municipalities to inject this upon the the people right let me give a couple more mentions of some big things in india they've started the q5 network q v i v e and that probably will become bigger than daystar it's uh, led by a wonderful uh, media personality, uh, Ashutak Panthanik. I've been on the program multiple times. Uh, they actually have in their group uh, Mr. Preshnan Bushnan. He's the uh, top barrister who's taken the case against the vaccines all the way to the Supreme Court of India. Very, very courageous uh, uh, older man. Um, and on something else big in the United States, we've started an alternative healthcare system called the Wellness Company. Mm-hmm. The Wellness Company. Mm-hmm. And I've taken a position as a chief scientific officer. It's actually uh, led out of Canada by e-commerce juggernaut Foster Colson, who hails from British Columbia. The company is centered out of Florida, uh, but we're offering healthcare in all 50 states through a telemedicine app. And we'll have some physical installations, community pharmacies that will always deliver ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, the drugs. We give uh, everyone vaccine exemptions if they want them uh, for work or for school. And uh, this is a for for nine ninety nine a month. This is a revolution. Uh, the wellness company and Tanya. I think what we're, the message we're giving to the other side, and I know they're listening right now. They listen. I'm I'm <laughs> attracted and follow followed very carefully. Is that they can't beat us? They can't beat us. Uh, I told Joe Rogan that the truth is like kryptonite uh, to these uh, to these individuals. You know, when I've testified in the U.S. Senate, we had chairs for Fauci, Walensky, uh, for Ja, and for uh, Murthy, uh, the key uh, public health officials. They they are afraid and won't meet me face to face. They're afraid to face me face to face. Steve Kirsch, another good talking point, millionaire who started the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation. Steve has on the table now millions of dollars. If anyone who's, who, who supports these vaccines, uh, agency official, medical school, chief of medicine, anyone, and they w- would sit down and face me, he'll pay them millions of dollars. No one will do it. Well, you know, you are a, a force. You are a threat because, uh, you know, you're a purveyor of the truth. And another good book says that the truth shall set you free. And that good book is the Bible. And uh, those are powerful words, right? Truth trumps the evil that's going on. Uh, we're exposing the dirty deeds of evil. And, uh, you know, it's throughout history. Uh, evil has always been to uh, able to prevail to a certain point until it became so uncomfortable that the average person could no longer deny it existed. (laughs) 
and that's where we are, right? This is a, a dark time in history, and um, I'm just, in a sense, grateful for it because now people are finally getting on board, waking up, and do some doing something about it. And uh, so I, I'm glad that you brought up the wellness group. I had wanted you to speak on that. That was going to be one of my points. Can I ask you, when I want to talk about the children in a moment, um, and this is in relation to that, what do you have to say about the shedding and transmission uh, what are the risks to the unvaccinated? You know, there was a recent paper. I just have it on my Substack. If, if, if you want to review it, if you go to the Courageous Discourse Substack, and the first author is Helene Banoon, a former INSERM scientist. INSERM is a leading research unit in France. And Banoon has summarized this. This is disturbing. It looks like the messenger RNA is transferring from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated now. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a paper by Fertig and colleagues, the messenger RNA is found circulating in blood for at least two weeks and the curves were not going down. That's as long as they look. Rolkin and colleagues has found messenger RNA and the vaccinated in lymph nodes for months. It looks like the body's not clearing it out. And, uh, and then a recent paper, this is most disturbing from Hannah and colleagues, JAMA, showed that the messenger RNA is in the breast milk of yes. women ill-advised who took the vaccine uh, during pregnancy or afterwards. So it's now clear. I think the messenger RNA, that's the greatest concern, is was, could you actually take a vaccine inadvertently by close contact, kissing, sexual contact, breastfeeding? And it looks like the answer is yes. Now the question on the table is, how long do you wait uh, for contact? No one knows. This, the, the vaccines, the messenger RNA vaccines for short, they've never been demonstrated to actually leave the body. They look like they're permanent, uh, as well as the spike protein that's produced after them. This is very disturbing. So it's hard to guide. I was saying, you know, 30 days refrain from kissing and sexual contact with a vaccinated person. But I'm now extending that to at least 90 days and, and conservatively maybe extended from a point forward. I know there's married couples and all kinds of of, of personal implications there. But, but no, this messenger RNA looks like it's for keep. Every shot is accumulating in the body with no ability for the body to get rid to of it. To remove it. Yeah, you know, that is, uh, that's very sad news for many, right, who were coerced and convinced uh, to take this harmful injection. I know Dr. Bridal had come out early on as well and said that the spike pro proteins and just the way you picture that going into your system and like little claws connecting. And so, you know, how would you, uh, you know, disseminate that and then remove it? And um, I'm, I can say firsthand uh, that absolutely 100% the uh, jab does have an effect on unvaccinated. My sister, who has never had any heart problems, was having severe heart problems after being around um, individuals in the neighborhood. She'd gone to a barbecue and didn't know they were vaxxed. And uh, she went through all of the thorough testings. Nothing came up as far as any heart problems for herself. And so now she has to have zero contact. And my mom is the same. My mom has so far that she's had uh, prior heart um, difficulties and uh, she had no nitro because she probably hadn't had heart problems for about 15 years. I had to drive to a mutual friend to get her nitro to help her through the episodes after a friend of ours whom we didn't know got vaccinated came and spent time with us. So there's no doubt in my mind that um, it is having a drastic, horrifying effect on people. Uh, I I know people have to make their decisions. Now, fortunately, my wife and myself, we're not vaccinated. We would never take the vaccine. We don't have worries ourselves. And I've been told that on dating apps now, 
one of the most important checkboxes if someone's unvaccinated. Uh, people really don't want to date vaccinated uh, other people right now. And yep. uh, we just don't know. Uh, you know, another disturbing finding, there's two papers, one by um, Alden, first author, Yang D. Marin, a senior author, another one by Kara Gokulis. I'm also a co-author of that paper demonstrating the vaccines, because they stay in the body so long, it looks like they do permanently install into the human genome mm-hmm. through what's called reverse transcription. So this is disturbing that not only does the vaccines not get out of the body, but now they're changing the human genome. Uh, this is shown in a human hepatoma cell line. And so it's conceivable that two vaccinated people could actually pass the code for Pfizer and Moderna into the baby uh, permanently. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and if this is, yeah, so this is very, very disturbing. You know, the, the, the government, as they developed these vaccines, uh, they went, as they kind of rushed it through the final stages, there was no assurances that these were safe. There was no genotoxicity, no teratogenicity studies um, now th- th- to learn. And, and in autopsy studies, the spike protein produced from the genetic material is found in the heart. Bowmeyer and colleagues have shown that. It's found in the brain, yeah. found in the brain, more and colleagues. So I can tell you, everyone who's taken the vaccine has this material in their brain, their heart, their adrenal glands, mm-hmm. reproductive organs. Uh, it's really a terrible thought. My heart goes out to people who have taken the vaccine. Yeah, myself as well. And that's one of the reasons why we um, started the chapters. Uh, We were saying as well that we believe this is going to be our church without walls as well, uh, providing support and love and community to those who are going to be also facing some very difficult times. Um, I've been very blessed. I, I advise my family right on at the start that not to take this jab my kids have honored that and uh, my mom my sister my family unfortunately uh, not one particular member of my family I shared a womb with (laughs) but it's 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 concerning and we've got to find a way to think okay past now the fact that yes individuals are going to be permanently in a situation where they don't know the longevity of will it be 10 years you know before they have a response or reaction and will there be a point in research where they come up with some sort of uh, cure you know for the individuals well yeah let me give you an update people have asked the question okay they got the message the vaccines are bad they're not taking any more shots They've asked the question, when is the risk over with? Uh, When can I not worry? Recently in my practice, I saw two women 18 months after the vaccine have serious blood clots that went to the lungs, pulmonary embolism, 18 months. Uh, The other thing to remember is most people took the vaccine are also getting COVID because the vaccines don't work. And so they're getting the exposure of the spike protein through the vaccines Mm -hmm. and through COVID. So recently... Uh, beloved weatherman Al Roker on TV uh, has taken, you know, maybe three, four, maybe even five shots, developed COVID, and now a month later has got a blood clot shot to his lungs. Same thing happened with sports caster um, yes, uh, yeah, I saw Herb that. Kirk Street. And then also uh, uh, Dallas Cowboy uh, uh, great Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders developed an arterial blood clot uh, syndrome where his toes were amputated. And in my clinic now, I've seen two young people with the arterial emboli syndrome have high leg amputations. They're now permanently disabled from the vaccine. And so as more permanently disabled people, our CDC says nearly 15,000 Americans are permanently disabled. That means amputations, disabling strokes, 
Uh, I've had a, a woman in my clinic, a, a blood clot in the arm, and we've had to remove the first rib and, and get out the blood clot. That happened, by the way, in, uh, in, in famous golfer Nellie Corda. Mm-hmm. Nellie Corda had a blood clot in her arm uh, in the same uh, type of pattern. Mm-hmm. We have a pop star Justin Bieber has Ramsey Hunt syndrome. That's a signature syndrome of COVID-19 vaccines. And now his face is paralyzed. He can't sing. He's very mm-hmm. tired. It has other effects. The trigeminal nerve is damaged. Um, his wife has actually had a blood clot after the vaccine, shoot to the brain, uh, needed retrieval with a coil, uh, a coil device. Uh, you know, it goes on and on. We can mention public figure after public figure. Yes, yeah. Now, it, it, people have to understand the only pathway now is to take no more shots uh, take care of themselves, good physical conditioning, good diet, and uh, and let's hope for some therapeutics. The most hopeful uh, things I'm aware of is uh, now there's a bevy of studies for long COVID, uh, and I think it would apply in vaccine injury, for the use of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And I was on a Canadian broadcast last night pre-filming, and we went over the, da- the data uh, together uh, with a Dr. Diamond uh, uh, Fernandez, Uh, a cardiovascular specialist in in Western Canada, uh, way up in the snow. And and then the other uh, oral therapeutic that's promising, one preclinical study was very good done by the Japanese, is with a supplement called natokinase, natokinase. And uh, this appeared to digest the spike protein, but not damage the cells. It was very effective. And I hope it advances in the human, human studies rapidly. Okay, yeah, and I know there's many people who would line up whether there was human studies. I mean, what they're being given right now was, uh, you know, tested on seven rats or six rats. And so, uh, you know, if there's a chance, I think that uh, this treatment should be released on the public as soon as possible. And I know, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to view the show. Uh, Usually our shows can get upward of 50,000, 60,000 views once we've aired them over the next months. And we want you to take heart. Uh, we know this is very sobering. It can be very concerning. And please, you know, become part of Action for Canada. Get involved with our chapters. Be parts of the community. Uh, we all need to support each other. And, you know, for those of you who, who may have felt quite smug uh, thinking that you were helping people and that's the reason you took the injection and you were very negative towards the unvaccinated, uh, this is no longer about that. We don't care what your stance was on it prior. Uh, we need you to know that you're supporting supported and uh, that there is hope as you hear there is research going on and as soon as uh, there is any positive information to give on that front we will be making it available and that information available to the public. Uh, I know somebody had asked uh, a question in the chat as to whether or not vax people can affect uh, animals, dogs. The answer is yes, 100%. Uh, Vets have already uh, been advising that dogs are getting uh, cancer and um, other ailments, and it is directly related to being in the home of uh, vaccinated or people that have taken this injection. So yes, it can be transmitted there as well. Um, I know I know somebody that I trained their dog for, a young dog of four years old only, and their whole family got jabbed, including the kids, and the dog at four years old passed away from an very aggressive cancer. That just doesn't happen by coincidence. All right. So uh, now I just wanted to ask you about our children. I know the time is coming short. Do you have a few more minutes for us? 
Is that okay? Okay, I want to I want to talk about what's happening uh, with our kids. How can we? Uh, I mean, I I don't know what to say to parents who thought that they were doing the best thing to protect their children by being convinced that they should give them uh, this jab. What's What's your view on this, Doctor McCullough? Yeah, a good way to think about it is a child is inherently healthy. So a child is healthy. The, the healthy body of a, of, a, of a child human cannot be made healthier by taking injections of foreign genetic code for uh, a, a protein that was manipulated by U.S. researchers in a Chinese biosecurity lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, the human body cannot be made healthier with these shots every six months. So the converse is true. It can only make the child unhealthier can result in a variety of, of, of devastating problems. And, and no parent wants to lose their child. And so they have to pay attention to the peer-reviewed literature, paper by Gill and colleagues from Connecticut, two boys age 16 and 17 take Pfizer on days three and four after the second shot. They're found dead at home by their parents. No opportunity for CPR, yeah. autopsies are done. And it's vaccine-induced myocarditis as a cause of death. Mm-hmm. We've now had fatal cases reported by Verma, by Choi, Gill, and in the UK, Patone, 100 cases, fatal cases. And half of the time, it's Pfizer, Moderna. Half the time, it's AstraZeneca. There's now been a case of myocarditis, uh, a non-fatal case reported from Korea with Novavax. So none of the vaccines are safe the children mm-hmm. uh, can have no possible benefit. And I've testified under oath, a single case of heart damage is one case too many. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really frightening. This is a genocide. I've called it infanticide, uh, murder. Uh, it, it's just there. there is no way to dance around this issue any longer. Um, my heart is so sad because in 2020, in June of 2020, I brought all of... Uh, reports with me to the head of the RCMP in British Columbia, that's our our police force, and I appealed to him. I laid it all out. I said they were uh, not permitting ivermectin or or hydroxychloroquine for treatment, rather the remdesivir and, uh, you know, other safe, unsafe treatments in order to uh, progress, uh, you know, the likelihood of of a person surviving. And I, he says, oh, well, we're listening to the health officer. We meet with her every week. And I just looked him square in the eyes and I said, this is murder. And, you know, so, so uh, yeah, I, I'm just commissioner. Let me just say that, let me just say that when, when something violates one's fundamental understanding of human life, when it violates that, there should be a full stop. And there's no more clear example than in pregnancy. Pregnancy, mm-hmm. everyone agrees, is a very special time. It's a God-given, uh, uh, wondrous time of uh, human creation. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone knows that a pregnant woman should take nothing into her body. Nothing. No alcohol, no smoking, uh, no, uh, they don't even eat soft cheese. Someone on a program today showed even some honey. There was a warning that honey shouldn't be taken because maybe it may have contaminants from the from the beehive. So a pregnant woman, her fundamental good clinical practice setting should tell her, never take an injection of the foreign genetic code for the lethal spike protein 
devised in a Chinese lab. That's like a science fiction movie. Uh, pregnant women should should they should be the ones to say no. And this idea that that they don't know, they do know. Pregnant women have known since the beginning of time not to do dangerous things to their body. Yeah. And any woman listening to this right now of reproductive age, it's on you. It's your job to protect the babies. And we have a manuscript I've done with a lead obstetrician in the United States, James Thorpe. The manuscript is in press right now. I am telling you, there are tenfold increased rates of fetal loss, uh, bleeding, uh, hemorrhagic complications, uh, uh, changes in the amniotic fluid, uh, craniofacial abnormalities, stillbirths, uh, uh, maternal deaths, fetal deaths. This is a disaster. It's a disaster. And you know, in the first week of the of the program, the, you know, in the development, pregnant women were were excluded from the randomized trials. The mm-hmm. FDA said they should they shouldn't take it, and the vaccine companies agreed. Yeah. But in the first week of the program in the United States. 3,000 pregnant women took these vaccines voluntarily. Yeah. That's in the first week. That tells you the human mind was not thinking correctly. No. I know Moderna and Pfizer on Health Canada had specifically said that they hadn't done any uh, treatments on pregnant women or infants. And our health officer, Bonnie Henry, she is very closely tied to Bill Gates and the World Health uh, Organization. So she's been full on. And a year and a half ago, I remember when she was uh, giving her news reports and saying, oh, yes, it's very safe for pregnant women and that it's a benefit through the uh, milk to the infants. While they're talking about intestinal bleeding happening randomly to infants, gee, what could be causing that? It is so monstrous, so evil what we're we're facing right now. Okay, so then the other question is, I was reading the other day in the um, email thread I was in with you, somebody had posted about a legal action taking place and it is regarding the MMR vaccine and acetaminophen. And I think I really wanted to report on this tonight that we have seen a huge risk. This isn't in relation to the COVID jab. It is in relation to the MMR our vaccine for uh, children and many kids have uh, there's been this increase in autism and where there was four do- four shots 16 doses when I was a kid in 2019 it was 16 or 17 shots and 72 doses we are filling children with toxic material that is harming them. And it appears that the autism is now uh, a result of that. And now they're saying in this research report that acetaminophen was recommended when children were getting their vaccinations to reduce fever or pain reaction. And it has had, uh, you know, it was part of the reaction that has induced autism. Do you know anything further about that? I'm not following that specific story, but I want to recommend another book to your uh, listeners. It's called Turtles All the Way Down, and it does describe the sequence of clinical trials. Uh, You know, the vaccines were never subjected to prospective randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials. They were only uh, had active comparators. Uh, And so what the COVID-19 vaccine debacle has done is caused doctors like myself, I've taken all the vaccines up to COVID. So did my children. I didn't question them. Uh, But when I was born, there were three shots. 
uh, now, as you said, there's 17, uh, there's a, a total of uh, 72 injections across, I think, about 17 products. And um, uh, what's, uh, what is going on right now is doctors like myself, we're reexamining the entire vaccine schedule. And, uh, and by doing so, I've drawn the conclusions that vaccinating for easily treatable conditions like diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus, uh, that's probably obsolete. Yes. Uh, that, that vaccination with hepatitis B in an infant should probably only be in the circumstances with, as a mother with IV drug abuse only. Right. And then hepatitis B would come much later on for doctors or healthcare workers. I took it. That's fine at that stage of life. Um, but the vaccines, instead of being blanketed, ought to be very selective mm-hmm. and ought to have strong clinical rationale. By blitzkrieging the uh, children's immune system, uh, it looks like there are these idiosyncratic reactions leading to neuropsychiatric disease, asthma, and a variety of conditions. Uh, I'll point you to an analysis done by Paul Thomas, a pediatrician, probably the best study that exists. Half of his practice took the vaccines, half of them didn't. The ones who are fully unvaccinated, they're far healthier. That's exactly what we've been hearing. I think this is all uh, uh, backfiring on the, the pharmaceutical companies and the government's pushing this because now there's greater. They, the World Health Organization said vaccine hesitancy in 2019 was the greatest risk. No, it is uh, forcing the population to take these uh, deadly jabs, which is now bringing question to the vaccinations for childhood vaccinations. So now they've said from from cradle to death, you know, we've got these vaccinations that uh, for the elderly, for shingles, they just want to vaccinate everybody to the hilt. And it's causing so much damage. And anybody that I've spoken to who has not had childhood vaccinations got through any of the diseases just fine. And when they introduced childhood vaccinations, there was already a massive decline on uh, all of the diseases that they were intended for because of proper diets, clean water, housing, right. etc. And so this has been a, a, a really diabolical campaign uh, to really deceive let, 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 me, let me make one comment. Out of these 72 shots, uh, one of the products that actually makes up a lot of that is influenza. Influenza, including the current recommendations are vaccinating a one-year-old child for influenza and I can tell you as a doctor, the only people I'm, con- I'm concerned with are, you know, senior citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we know here is a paper by Chung and colleagues in MMWR, the CDC journal last year. The, the, the flu vaccine had 16 percent vaccine efficacy, and that was statistically insignificant from zero. Yeah. So what I'm telling you is the flu shot does zero, yep. zero from yep. the human body. I, I filled out an exemption this year for the hospital. I'm not taking it. I'm not going to take something in my body that has zero benefit. It's ex- and, and this is it, right? And can actually cause more harm than good because right now people are questioning what are they putting in it. They're even, you know, threatening that uh, they have the mmRNA in, in, in the uh, well, flu you know, shot. They, they don't have messenger RNA in it, but all the companies are signaling that the next versions would be messenger RNA. We're talking uh, influenza, uh, the certainly the COVID-19, mm-hmm. uh, the respiratory syncytial virus. Uh, there is an RSV vaccine coming along. It's an antigen-based vaccine right now. It's only partially effective. 
Um, you know, I think at this point in time, everyone's going to carefully reexamine the schedule. You know, in the yeah. United States, the vaccine hesitancy was only 2.5% before COVID. That means, uh, you know, most people just took the vaccines. The current number now is way over 30%. That's awesome. That is exciting to hear because we need more individuals understanding that uh, they don't care about your health. Uh, these injections were never really needed to... Uh, you know, to benefit anybody in this, in society. I know nurses who felt that they needed to take the flu shot and, and one ended up paralyzed for six months. There are adverse reactions even to the flu shots. Mm. Uh, we should have zero tolerance. I know somebody will probably be thinking, but, oh, the polio vaccine saved so many individuals. Well, at this point, polio had almost been eradicated and now we've got uh, vaccine-derived polio in, in the areas where they way they are injecting people in third world countries again uh so we just can't oh, trust but no just just to just to clarify the two two forms of polio vaccine in right. the united states and canada the oral polio remember the sugar yes. cues that was phased out about 20 years ago or so but but the oral polio is live attenuated so anybody using the oral polio vaccine the polio virus comes out in the stool so for instance uh pakistan and Many countries, they still use the oral, uh, uh, the oral polio. So, so the polio vaccine actually does contribute polio to the water supply, and that's how people get polio. And so when there's flooding or mixing of, of sewer and clean water, that's the risk. Uh, but the polio epidemic, as we know it, went away with the advent of water sanitation, not the vaccine. Right. We currently use an intramuscular vaccine, uh, so it doesn't introduce polio. Uh, but it does um, have what's called the neurotropic strains. There's three of them. Uh, You know, I think at this point in time, none of the vaccines are particularly compelling. I think the antigen-based vaccines, uh, you know, make the best overall uh, proposition of risk benefit. That's hepatitis B and meningococcus. Uh, but but the entire schedule should be reexamined. Okay, and I know there's a real push right now. There, oh, the media and the news are all over it about RSV and children, uh, you know, suffering with this respiratory illness. And really, it's no breaking news. They most kids by the time they're two have have already, you know, maybe uh, suffered with RSV and they recover just fine. The majority of kids. It, and it builds and strengthens their immune system to make them stronger with whatever other flu viruses come. They need to go through these things. And uh, so don't be too overly compelled or concerned uh, about what it is that the media are feeding you and about the ICUs being, uh, you know, um, over flooded with children coming in. Part, part of the problem with the ICU beds is because we don't have medical staff any longer in our hospitals that, that can manage. And so they've had to cut back the ICU beds. So when they tell you the ICU beds are full, it could have gone from 20 beds down to 10. All right. So just everybody calm down if you have small children. It's going to be okay. <laughs> All right. Let me comment on that. RSV is as an RNA single-stranded virus. Uh, you know, the vast majority of of the people who develop RSV are children less than age one. It's an infantile disease. It's easily treated with nebulizers. We can use albuterol nebulizers. Sometimes budesonide. Um, uh, if children have to be hospitalized, the average length of stay is less than a day. It's like mm-hmm. going to the ER or clinic. Uh, with a child, they're easily treated nebulizers. Adults could be a couple days. Uh, and you're right. It, uh, there are advanced therapies for adults, by the way. There's monoclonal antibodies and ribavirin and corticosteroids. And I think the only parents that would worry would be a child with cystic fibrosis or 
a diaphragmatic hernia or severe asthma. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's always completely benign, but it's, it's easily treatable. Parents need to be on the ball. I agree. Uh, you know, children get through this. They get immunity. And one thing we've learned is that walking down and wearing masks, the children have not had the usual viral challenges. Right. And so children actually are actually meant to, to challenge each other with viruses. And that's how they build their individual immune systems. And, and, and that, by this locking down has been so distortional right. for this microbiome health. We had an outbreak of adenovirus 41 hepatitis and the leading thought is now that's a direct result of the children not playing and interacting for a couple of years. RSV could be another example. Right. So those snotty, snotty noses are, are a good thing, right? Because they're building kids' immune systems. Don't be afraid of it. I don't know if you've heard what's going on in Canada, but our shelves have been empty of child uh, children's Tylenol or ibuprofen for five months they, they have not been um, uh, bringing it in uh, to Canada. So our shelves have literally been on the news empty where uh, individuals cannot access that to bring down their child's fever or help to comfort them. So we're suggesting that um, if you're a parent on tonight experiencing this, that apparently there are pharmacies uh, in your community who can make up uh, the product for you if, if your child is at risk. And so this is pretty scary for parents hearing about this respiratory virus their child comes home with a sniffle next thing they have a cough there's no Tylenol on the shelves we're not even sure if we want kids to take Tylenol anymore after that acetaminophen report and you know I'm just grateful for you because you bring the technical 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 medical language uh, right so, yeah, so let me comment on this this is important all the families in Canada with small children should have a supply of fever control medicines, whether it's acetaminophen, I think you call it a paracetamol, or, uh, or liquid ibuprofen or liquid uh, naproxen Aleve. You should have that on hand. Uh, the data are clear with COVID-19. The preferred drug is actually ibuprofen or naproxen. Uh, it's better to it, relieving symptoms. Uh, one of the reasons why children should not be left with high fevers is that it can prompt seizures, mm -hmm. and uh, that's quite alarming. Also, it, it works to dehydrate the kids. So we actually do want fever control. It's very important. Everybody make sure they have a supply. If they have to order it online, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm really just appalled that in Canada, it, it almost sounds like there's an intentional there starving is. of the Canadian population. Of I heard rumors early on in the pandemic that zinc was taken off the shelf. Uh, and other things that people could have used to to try to manage. Right in the in the legislature, uh, you know, our top health officials are talking about not taking vitamin D. Uh, it, it it has just been uh, corruption. Like I said, on steroids, very, very concerning. This this uh, most recent campaign by the government to scare the bejeebers out of parents and then uh, threaten that there's not enough room at the hospitals, plus there's uh, no th treatment or therapy in your local drugstore to assist your child. So, you know, you go down to the cool baths and, and uh, compresses and whatever else that uh, parents can do to assist their child. I know that my sister was telling me as well the natural of that is willow bark for acetaminophen and that is what is to help and assist in bringing down fevers and for aches and pains but just, just a clarification there the willow bark is actually the derivative of aspirin aspirin, of aspirin. That's, thank you for the yeah. correction that's correct so, yes so, so we want to be now listen aspirin is okay in children but it needs to be weight-based in very short duration mm -hmm. there's a syndrome 
called RISE syndrome that can develop with chronic large doses of aspirin given over a long period of time. You know, short duration, low dose, uh, or I mean, weight adjusted doses are mm-hmm. fine. So parents can navigate there. You know, I can take time for one more question. And I'm okay. going to have to sign off. Yes, I was just going to suggest that you've been very generous with your time. So somebody has been asking, we know with the G20 uh, commitment to have WHO facilitated global vaccine passports, I know that for myself, uh, as we just spoke about, the uh, WHO, the UN are foreign unelected bodies who have no say in how we run our country. It, it is it, regardless of what the president or the prime minister of our countries is saying, we have constitutions, we have guaranteed rights. And as far as I'm concerned, we don't comply to anything that the UN or WHO has to say. What are your what's your comments regarding this? I agree. It's greatly disturbing. Uh, There's no need for vaccine passports. You know, they wanted to base it on COVID vaccination, which doesn't even work. So um, and and is is frankly dangerous and is being rejected. Uh, But this is attempt, again, to take away our civil liberties, restrict travel. And if someone told me, uh, Dr. McCullough, what would you do? Take a vaccine or not travel? The answer is I wouldn't travel. Exactly. And you have to you have to vote with your feet right here. If they said, Dr. McCullough, what would you do? Uh, take a vaccine or lose your job. I'd say, listen, I'd lose my job and get a better one. Since there's so many jobs available out there, uh, you know, we're going to have to start making decisions like that. And very quickly, people will see what happens. The, the more people take vaccines to, quote, keep their jobs, that's just perpetuating the problem. A hundred percent. And even wearing the mask, you're not doing a kindness to anybody. You are part of the problem. You are handing your rights over to the government because it is a barometer. The government is looking at it to say, whose minds have we got captured, right? Who who is going to continue to uh, fall in line with our lies and uh, can you continue to comply? So rip that mask off breathe freely. And uh, so Dr. McCullough, there you go. Thank you so much. Like I said, it's been an honor to have you on the show. I hope we we can have you back someday in the new year. And uh, just God bless you and all of the efforts. We'll be praying for you and we'll be watching what happens uh, for yourself as far as your license is concerned as well. They got to keep you going. (laughs) Right. Well, God bless you all. And thanks for having me. Thank you so much. All right. Wow. Wasn't that just an amazing night? We're so grateful for uh, to Dr. McCullough. He spent well over the hour he had booked with us. Uh, we hope that we had lo- asked lots of good questions. I didn't do a Q&A tonight uh, because that can waste a lot of time in, in some good conversation. And with the caliber of Dr. McCullough coming on, I just wanted to try to ask as many questions and engage him um, as much as I could. All right. So our guest next week is going to be our good friend, David Lindsay. This is going to be amazing having him on as we're faced again with our tyrannical, silly government trying to mandate masks and trying to interfere possibly with people's right to go back to their jobs or travel. We're getting ahead of this. So we're going to have a resource that we're creating right now on what your rights are. Uh, We have many citizens across the country taking all of Action for Canada's amazing campaigns and getting out there and handling 
handing out flyers as an example. So we had one of our chapter leaders, God bless her. She was outside uh, of a school here in BC and uh, it ends up that the principal, it was regarding the Soji uh, campaign and the principal comes out and he's you know, got his knickers in a knot and he's all upset. And so he calls the police, right? And so the police show up and, and uh, you know, the leader did such a good job in addressing the police and expressing her concerns. But if you're in that position, we know it can be very intimidating. And so we just want you to have something that you can print and have on your person. Because handing these flyers out is an essential way of getting out there and uh, bringing awareness. One, I want to give a big, huge shout out once again as I'm thinking about it and to remind you that this actually works. Using the flyers, having these campaigns that Action for Canada is initiating and having us all finally as a unified body working together. I mean, we have a very massive email list. And so when we um, at Halloween had sent out the campaign to take the Soji flyer and hand it out to adults showing up at your door, that saved us a lot of time, uh, you know, standing outside in the rain or snow outside of school, handing out flyers. So good on you guys. We had an excellent response. We just uh, launched the mask campaign this week because of course, schools across Canada, uh, these nasty NGOs are lobbying the government saying, we need masks, we need children to be masked. They're liars and they're abusing our children and we can't let that happen. We're not going to go into any other season where we see another child mask. This is abuse. And so we launched that campaign on uh, Saturday and man, have I been so pleased with the results of people writing into us. Our chapter leaders are writing and saying we're having very good results with uh, trustees and uh, votes against it, etc. We can do this, all right? It's We're the silent majority, and we're trying to give you a voice, and we're going to be a massive, loud voice across this nation. Okay, so some of you are with us as well. Another thing that Action for Canada is doing is we are working towards uh, making another resource available to you. It will be available if you are in need. We are in uh, need of prayer. We're asking you to reach out to our uh, prayer line. Uh, we'll post the email in the link when you watch the video, it will be below in the description. But if you as well are walking a very thin edge right now considering suicide, you need to speak to somebody. We would like you to reach out to our prayer line, but we are also working to find out who in the nation um, has a suicide hotline because we believe that you need to um, have access to people who are qualified in order to assist you and walk you through. But you know what? Our, our prayer team as well, sometimes you just, you know what? You need the Lord. And Terenzio, if you can bring up the verse for this week. Um, I became a Christian when I was nine years old. And I remember reading my Bible in the dark with a flashlight, and I went through it beginning to end a couple of times. But my favorite verse was John 3.16, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're on the call today, and uh, you know what? The Holy Spirit of God may be pressing in on you, and you may be thinking about God. You may be thinking about what happens after this life. Uh, you may have been brought up as an agnostic or an atheist or even in a different religion, but you're not feeling the hope. And um, as I've mentioned previously, I'm not afraid. You know, I, I'm courageous 
because I believe God has a plan and I know that he's called me for such a day as this, but I can't live in fear. The worst they could do to me is they could take my my life, my body, my here on earth, but they have no control over my soul because I have prayed that prayer. I have asked Jesus to come in as my Lord and Savior. And that is, it says, the only way that we can have everlasting life. It's not just about being a good person. All right. Jesus was born and he rose again. He died on a cross and he rose again for us to be the greatest sacrifice on earth so that you could have eternal life. But we need to confess our sins and we need to get right with God and we need to give the wheel over to Jesus in our life. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more comforting than being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In the most troublesome times, you can manage to get through some of the worst of, worst times because of it. So I just encourage you today and that if you've made that decision, please again, reach out to our prayer team Tell somebody about it. We'll, we'll uh, pray with you. We'll uh, encourage you to get involved with a local church that has been open <laughs> and is a freedom-loving church. You don't want to go into a closed church or one that's doing it online on Zoom. <laughs> no, don't support them. We want you in a church that is freely living the life of Christ. All right, my friends, thank you so much for joining us tonight. God bless you. God bless Canada. And we'll see you next week. Sir!